The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, every day I ride my bike to work, and I love riding my bike to work because it makes every day a near-death experience. Every day I feel like I have cheated death yet again. Every day is a day I should not have had. And we all do dangerous things. For some of us, it might be driving a car. Every year, 300 people die on the roads in New South Wales. For some of us, it might be just walking out into the sun. One in 20 Australians will catch a melanoma by the age of 85. And there are many fun things that we do that are also dangerous. Last year, Mick Fanning, while surfing, almost got eaten by a shark. I love to go skiing. But here's some of my favourite skiers that I used to watch on ski videos who are now dead. Sarah Burke, dead from skiing. Shane McConkie, dead from skiing. Doug Coombs, dead from skiing. They all died doing things that they love. And whenever this happens, the surfing magazines and the ski magazines, they'll all say something like this. Well, it just goes to show. Well, it just goes to show what? Well, they usually say, well, it just goes to show you've got to live every day like it's your last but then I say, well, how does that work? Like, if I was to live today like it was my last, I would not be here right now. And yet somehow life has to go on. We can't live every day like it's our last. And sometimes they say, well, it just goes to show you've got to do what you love. Well, I've got three young boys, and every day I'm cleaning up their food, their vomit, their poo. I don't love doing this. And yet somehow that's what life is. That's what being a father is. So it just goes to show what? Well, welcome again to our forum series this month. This month we're looking at the theme of how to find the extraordinary in life. Our topics have been success, goodness, today it's life, and next week it's legacy. Each week, one by one, we look at these topics and see what the Bible, in particular the book of Ecclesiastes, has to say. This comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by 10 minutes of question and answer from you guys. Today our question is this. How can I have a life, a rich, full, flourishing life? How can I have a life that's more than just a biological life, just more than heartbeats and blood pumping? How can I have a rich, full, flourishing life, especially when one day it will all have to end? Because the Bible sets up the problem like this. Verse 12, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. How can we have a full life when one day we have to die anyway and we don't know when that will come? It could be cancer. It could be a car crash. It could be a connery, but that day will come. So how can I have a rich, full, flourishing life? Well, if you have a look at the outline in front of you, you can see there are two parts to this morning's talk. The first part, we'll look at the problem of death. And then the second part, we'll look at, well, how can I have an extraordinary life? So let's go to the first part of the talk. And here I suggest two things. Number one, 
What's the point in being good, rich, or successful anyway? I used to live at home, and I was a single guy, so I had this two-door Honda sports car. Very cool. But I used to live at home. Very uncool. (laughs) And my parents had this, a Volvo station wagon. Very, very uncool. In case you're wondering why Chinese parents always have a Volvo, it's because they think it's safer. That box-like construction they think is safe. That's what Chinese look for in a car. While you white people are looking for speed and performance and handling, we're looking for safety. What would this do in a crash? That's all we're thinking. And so I think that is so uncool. On Sunday mornings, we go to church, and I'll take off separately from them in my sports car. Just to show them how slow and boring they were. And they would go in the little Volvo station and go safely, you know, just under the speed limit to be safe. And I'll be going, bah, 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 bah. And they go, safely, safely, safely. And then we'll hit a traffic light. And we'll both have to stop. I'll stop. And then I'd see my parents just pull up next to me, a mumbled wave just to see how I was going. And they go, oh, this is so embarrassing. And the lights would go green, and I'd, boom, I'd take off again in my sports car. they will go in their little Volvo station wagon. And the lights would go red and go, Aah! and they'll pull up next to me, and they'll wave, and I'll wave. And the lights would go green, and I'd take off. And then they'll go, and we hit another red light, and we'll stop. We would get to church exactly the same time. Traffic lights, the great equaliser. It doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going, you still get there at the same time. And death is the great equaliser for all of us. Because Mother Teresa dies the same death that Adolf Hitler dies. Kerry Packer dies the same death that the homeless person dies. Steve Jobs dies the same death that you and I will die. Death, it's the great equaliser. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. doesn't matter how good or bad you've been, how rich or poor we've been, how religious or non-religious we've been, We all die anyway. Verse 2, as it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, we still all die. Death is the great equaliser. So it doesn't matter how rich, good, powerful, religious or successful we've been, we're just going to die anyway. So what's the point of it all? Should I then just... Live every day as if it's my last. Well, we have a second problem. So number two, there will be a time when the good times have to stop anyway. Now, my boys, once a year, I take them to go on a family ski holiday. We go once a year and they get so excited. I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. We're going skiing, we're going skiing, we're going skiing. And they get so excited. And I start to say, it happens every year. What are you so excited about? And then I realise... Wow. My boy here is four. He's probably going to only remember back to when he was two. So one year for him is 50% of his conscious lifetime. So one year for him feels like 25 years feels like for me. But as you get older, as I do, as we do, the years seem to go by quicker and quicker and quicker. Every year is like, it's Christmas again? It's council clean-up again. 
It's the end of financial year again. How did that happen? How are we in September already? How did that happen? Boom, 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 boom. The years go quicker and quicker and quicker. And every year we promise what we're going to get done. Like every year we say, this year I'm going to take up guitar lessons. This year I'm going to learn a foreign language. This year I'm going to sign up to the gym. This year we're going to have a friend over. This year we're going to have a barbecue for our neighbours. It never happens. And a year has gone by and it hasn't happened again. We don't get done the things we want to get done because the years just go quicker and quicker and quicker. I turned 50 this year and I cannot believe how quickly the last 50 years have gone, which has got me really worried about how quicker the next 50 years are going to go. Like, like, like consciously, they will zip by just like that. Last year I was at a wedding and I thought, this is amazing. This is the first wedding I'm going to where it's my friend giving away his daughter to get married. I'm no longer turning up because I'm a friend of the people getting married. I'm turning up because I'm a friend of the parents. I've become that guy on the table, like, Mum and Dad, do we have to invite him? Yes, he's our friend. Yes, I'm on that table. <laughs> and I thought, How did that happen? Like, there was a time when every year there'll be 21st. That's what happened every weekend. Oh, another 21st. And then it became weddings. Oh, another wedding. And now I'm at the stage where every weekend I'm able to turn up to a friend giving away their, their kids at, at a marriage. And I said that to someone. He said, well, wait till you get to our phase in life. It's funerals. We're turning up to funerals. And each time we're turning up, there's less and less of us because the years just go by so quickly. And in a little while, I'll be turning up to funerals because life is just so short and we don't get done the things we think we're going to get done in this life. Towards the end of my life, my, uh, of his life, my grandfather was in a wheelchair in a nursing home. So every Christmas, would order that special taxi that could take him in the wheelchair in the taxi and the taxi would bring him to our family's house for the family Christmas and at the end of the Christmas dinner, we'd have to order the special taxi again. It would come and we'd wheel our grandfather back into the taxi, say bye to him, but there was always this feeling, could this be it? Could this be the last Christmas we ever celebrate with Grandpa? Because there will be a day the Christmas has run out. There will be a day the years run out because the life just goes so quickly. It just zips by and we never get done the things we think we're going to get done. Verse 3, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. No matter what meaning, what pleasure we have in our brief life, that's what it will become, just a blip in the timeline of the universe. What difference really can we make and what difference does it make how happy, sad, rich, poor, powerful or not powerful we really, really were in this life. So let's come to the second half of the talk now. How can I have an extraordinary life then with this whole problem of death? Well, here I suggest two things. Number one, it's all about the relationships. It's all about the relationships. I lived five years in America, and America does everything bigger and brighter than the rest of the world does. And they have this sports bar called ESPN Zone, and just think what a normal sports bar would look like. They have just blown up by a thousand. 
So you go in there and they're just TV screens everywhere and some big TV screens. And if you're lucky, you can get one of the sofa chairs in front and just watch one of the big screens all night. So we went to the ESPN Zone one night and we saw there was a couple there. And the guy was sitting in front of the big screen and there was a basketball game on. And he was so happy. He was watching the basketball game. He had his drink in one hand, food in the other hand. And next to him was the woman that he had brought along. And you could see she'd been to a lot of trouble to get ready for the night. Her hair was done. There was makeup. There was a nice dress. And she sat there just go. <sighs> she was so unimpressed. To be there, which I couldn't work out because it's a very good basketball game. <laughs> and someone was, oh no, this is terrible. He's ignoring her. He should be relating with her. He should be talking to her, whispering in her ear, maybe holding her hand. He should be relating with her because that's how things are to be enjoyed in company of others. Life is about relationships. It's actually not what we do. It's not what we own. It's who we're with that makes a difference. And he was so self-absorbed, he was ignoring her, living out of the relationship. This is Bronwyn, Bronnie Ware. She's a palliative care nurse from the UK. She's written this book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she lists down the five things that people regret at the end of their life. In one of the top five regrets, people say, I should have kept in touch with my friends. You see, we live a life that's so self-absorbed, we actually end up lonely by the end of our life. And we lose the, the relationships. And that's when we suddenly realize that's what life is all about. It's actually about the relationships. It's not what we have. It's not what we do. It's who we're with that gives us quality of life. This is Robert Waldinger in one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. He's from Harvard University. And his talk is called How to Have a Good Life. And they have this remarkable Harvard study because of the size and breadth and time of the study. They found about 750 men and they traced them over 75 years and they're looking what gives satisfaction, life satisfaction. And at the end of their 75 years study of 750 men, they found out what gives you quality of life isn't whether you have a million dollars or not isn't whether you're a CEO or not, isn't whether you've paid off the house or not, what it came down to was the quality of your relationships. Because if you're in quality relationships, you are happier, you are healthier, and you even live longer. What gives quality satisfaction a full life is the quality of your relationships with your friends and family. Again, it's not who, what we have it's not what we do, it's not what we own, it's who we're with that gives us quality of life. So Robert Waldinger in his talk quotes approvingly from Mark Twain, there isn't time, so brief is life, for bickerings and apologies. There is only time for loving and even that is only for an instant. It's all about relationships. So that's the first thing. And the second thing then is, if it's all about relationships, we need to enjoy life with God. We need to be in a relationship with God as well. Hugh Mackay, in his book, What Makes Us Tick, The Ten Desires That Drive Us, 
One of the top desires, according to Hugh Mackay, was this, the desire to be connected. So we have a desire as humans to be connected with nature. And that's why after a while we need to be outdoors. We need to connect with nature. We have a desire to be connected with our friends and family. And ultimately we have a desire to be connected spiritually with a God who loves us and who made us. We need to be connected. So once a year we go skiing. And at the end of our family ski trip this year, I asked Toby, our oldest son, I said, what is it that you love about skiing? And being an eight-year-old boy who just zips around, I thought he was going to say, I love the speed. I love the jumps. I, I, I love the danger. Instead, I love it when we ski together as a family. That's what he said. So it was all about skiing together. And those of us who have skied realize actually skiing is no fun alone. Skiing is only fun when you're with people that we love. Eating. As much as we talk it up, as isn't much fun alone. It's eating with people that we love that makes eating fun. Travelling is actually horrible and soulless when you do it alone. But when you travel with someone you love, that's what makes travel, travelling. It's all about being connected. Sophie Scott, a neuropsychologist, neuroscientist, and in her TED Talk, What Makes Us Laugh, She says we're 20 times more likely to laugh at something when we're with someone that we respect and trust. So again, what makes something funny isn't the thing that we do or hear. It's who we're with at the time. So again, it's not what we do. It's not what we own. It's not what we have. It's who we're with that gives us quality of life. It's all about being connected. And ultimately, we need to be connected with God. Verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness, enjoy your food, drink your wine with a joyful heart, enjoy your drink, enjoy your travel, enjoy your skiing, enjoy your movies. Why? For God has already approved what you do. In the end, it's all about being connected with God. If we have God's approval, then we can enjoy everything we have in this brief life for what it is, no more, no less, a good gift from a good God for us to enjoy. And it's interesting, the Bible uses the word approve there because Hugh McKay in his book, Top 10 Desires That Drive Us, the number one desire for him is we need to be somebody. We need people's approval. That's actually the number one desire that drives us in life. All of our life, we're trying to win someone's recognition earn someone's approval, gain someone's attention. We spend our whole lives doing that from people that we know and trust, from people above us, and that's the cruel thing in life. It's actually impossible to win approval because there's always more that we can do either in their minds or our own minds. But the Bible says, you know, the biggest approval we need is the one from God, and if we have that, we can enjoy all of life. And how do we get God's approval? And again, the Bible says the same thing we've been saying all morning. It's not what we do. It's not what we have. It's who we have that gets us God's approval. If we have Jesus in our life, we have God's approval. And we have God's approval, then we can have a rich, full, flourishing, satisfying life. Maybe I've shared this story with you before. A few years ago, I was doing some weekend cleaning with my wife around the house. And I hate cleaning. I hate cleaning. It's just so destroying. Just sucks the life out of you until you're the shell of a man. So I, I, I said to her, I've got a great idea, brilliant idea. Why don't you keep cleaning and I'll go surfing. And then when I come back, I'll take you out for a meal. 
And she said, you can go if you want to. <laughs> now, for you single men out there, hey, that sounds like a yes answer. Go if you want to. For you married guys out there, no, 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 no. No, that is not a yes answer. That's a no answer disguised as a yes answer. Go if you dare. <laughs> That's what it's saying. And I didn't dare. Because I knew no matter how much fun I had surfing, if I didn't have my wife's approval, it's actually not fun at all. It's very hollow. It's very empty. It's the same with life. If we don't have God's approval, no matter what we do or have, it ends up being hollow and empty. But if we have Jesus, we have God's approval, and everything we have in this brief life will become rich, full, flourishing, and satisfying. Everyone dies, mm. um, but surely the death uh, of a packer or a murder or a jobs mm. is going to be better than yeah. homeless or, yeah, or, or something. So what, what makes a good death? Mm. Yes, yes. So, so the rest of Ecclesiastes answers that question. So we didn't have the whole of Ecclesiastes. So in the long run, everything just seems like, well, what difference does it make? No whether you're rich or poor, good or bad, successful or not successful, because in the timeline of the universe, it's just a, a small blip anyway. Does that mean I can get away with anything I'm doing in this life? And Immanuel Kant asked the same question, and he came to the same conclusion that the Bible came to. The only way justice can exist in this life if there is a day when all wrongs will be righted in a future life. That's the only way this life can make sense, if there is a future life where there will be a righting of wrongs. And that's what Ecclesiastes in the final chapter comes to. You know what? There has to be a future life for this life to make sense. Uh, so not just, it's not just about God's approval in this life, but it's knowing our God's approval in the next life that makes the present life make sense. And therefore, it's all about living a life that God would approve of as well in, in this life. Yeah, so the question is, this man is very contented, he's got purpose, he's got relationships, he has a very good life, he's comfortable, he's come to a place of peace. How do we understand that? So I think uh, three things. Number one, the Bible says this is a general creation blessing that God gives to everyone, whether they choose to believe in God or not. So there are many what the theologians call general creation blessings that everyone can enjoy. So one is, is a marriage, for example. Everyone can enjoy marriage and family as a general creation blessing. Everyone can enjoy it. Jesus talks about how God sends rain on everyone, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God. This is a general creation blessing that people get to enjoy. So at some level, I think all people can enjoy this peace, this enjoyment of God's creation as a gift from God. The second thing then is the Bible, when it speaks to people like that, then it says you're enjoying the gift, but you're not honouring the giver. That's a problem. Because uh, these things, if all we are is just atoms, if all we are is just another species of animal, if we're just, a, just the, the sum of our body parts, then where, does, do, where do we get this idea of satisfaction, purpose, happiness, family, commitment, responsibilities? So they're actually these artificial constructs we put on our life. But if they exist for real, they actually have to come from a loving creator. And so the, so the Bible in the Acts, when the apostles speak to people who aren't churched, haven't been through the Jewish synagogue system, they say, hey, look what God has done for you. He's given you food. He's given you rain. He's made your crops grow. 
but you're not worshipping, you're not honouring the God. So at this point, even though we enjoy the gift, we're not honouring, we're ignoring the Creator. So that's where there's a bit of disharmony in their life, even though they can't see it. And, and, and then the third thing I hinted at already, like they're living a life where for them to be satisfied, they actually are finding a lot of purpose. So your friend is finding a lot of purpose. So where do we get this idea of purpose? I was just reading Tom Morris. Tom Morris has a book called If Aristotle Ran General Motors. He says there are three forms of happiness. Happiness as pleasure is very empty. Happiness as just doing nothing. After a while we get bored. So retirement can be boring. So true happiness is found in purpose. As long as we're purposefully busy... Uh, we can be happy. So your friend has found purpose. But where does purpose come from? So it has to come from a God. Otherwise, we're just artificially inventing purpose. Uh, and after a while, we have this cognitive dissonance. You know what? You're just making this up. You don't really have to do this purpose. Uh, and so your, your friend's inconsistent with the way he's living. Because where does the joy, the satisfaction come from? And it's a bit of what Ecclesiastes come from. Enjoy life. But realize this is coming from a creator uh, or, or everything that we're enjoying. Okay, so we ha- the question is, what, what would the future life be like after death? So we have no awareness of our pre-birth life. Uh, what would our post-death life be? So um, the Bible says we, we actually begin life when we're born. So there's no pre-birth life that, that we're unaware of. It just wasn't there. It didn't, didn't exist. But post-death, the Bible says we continue in some sort of conscious state. So when the thief on the cross is dying... Jesus says to him, you know, today you're, you're going to be with me in paradise. So in some way, you're going to be conscious of how after death, you're actually going to be with me in heaven. So the Bible says we have some, a continued conscious existence after death. And then when Jesus comes again through some miracle, which we won't fully understand, uh, we, we get a new body that matches our, our conscious existence. So it's, um, you actually have three schools of thought. One is um, you, we fall asleep and we're not aware of anything until Jesus comes again. Another is we have an immediate resurrection. But I think that the third view best fits the Bible's account, that somehow there's a conscious, continued existence straight after we die. We'll be with Jesus in paradise. But when he comes again and sets up his new kingdom, we'll, ha- we'll have a body that matches that. Um, so how do we understand that? So at this point, it's very hard for us to understand. The way I best explain is, what really makes me me is what's called a continuity of personhood, not the atoms that make me me. Because if you think about our bodies turn over atoms, so none of my atoms are the same atoms I had a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We turn them over. And so I still have a continuity of personhood. If you go to your 20-year high school reunion, uh, you don't recognize any of your friends anymore. And so sort of how are you, you anymore? All that looks the same are the eyeballs, but the face is different, the hair is different, the belly is different. And, and, but you are you because of, and your atoms have all changed, but because of continuity of personhood. And I think that's what happens post-death. Some say, but you have no body and your future body isn't the same body you had now. And what if you had an amputation or cremation or cancer? What would that mean? Well, I don't think it really matters uh, because we, we're still us because of the continuity of personhood. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.